This is Wednesday Night Bible Study here at the Vine Little Pentecostal Witness Church, January the 10th, 2024. Our Director, Reverend Mac Perry, bringing the message tonight, part two of Stoning of Stephen. Here's Brother Mac. So let's uh, do a quick review before we uh, read our uh, wording for tonight. Um, you know, uh, Stephen's been preaching to the Sanhedrin court, uh, and he has really got him upset. I, I keep thinking about all kinds of things as I'm studying this, and one of them in my heart is how the Holy Spirit used what those men were most knowledgeable of, had the most understanding of, and he, you know, Stephen is preaching to them what they already know, but yet they still aren't accepting it. They still didn't learn from what their fathers did, is what Stephen's saying. Over and over and over again, God has given us opportunities. God has given His people opportunities. Throughout 2,000 years, even today, God gives His people an opportunity to receive the Word and understand the Word. And actually, you know, uh, people seem to be getting more hard-hearted, just like that Sanhedrin court. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen to it. The world don't want to hear about God today. But you know what? I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be like Stephen. You know, even when Stephen, as we learned tonight, was being stoned, he looked up into heaven and he asked, and he thanked God. And he asked God to go ahead and take him home. I think about that a lot. And I got some more to add to that tonight. But, you know, um, he's teaching and even some of the, 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 uh, the, the main points uh, we can see that Stephen is saying it was your fathers who rejected uh, uh, you know, and now you're doing the same thing. You're rejecting the law. It's not me that's against the law that's violating anything today. You know, you're standing up and violating the you. You're doing the same thing by uh, not accepting Jesus as the Son of God. And then when we got to verse 44 and 45, it, the, Stephen is answering their accusation about um, t- the temple being destroyed. And you know what he does? He again reminds them that the fathers haven't had the tabernacle, a tent that they uh, roamed around in the desert with for 40 years, that had the tablets in there, the Ten Commandments in it. That was God's tent. It was made by what Moses, the directions God gave him as far as how to build it, the dimensions and everything, so it would be a godly place to be. Uh, but yet, they still didn't accept. They used it for their own purposes, to worship idols and to worship. They again rebelled against God. But you know what God God did punish them by making, uh, you know, he uh, he kind of put them to the side and said, you know, uh, you're going into exile for 40 years, and that's what they did. They roamed around in the, and I think if I read, uh, understand everything correctly, uh, the way the history book says is they should have went through that desert in a couple of weeks, but it, instead it was 40 years. They were being punished, but still. God was punishing them, but he loved them. You know, just like today when God punishes us, when sometimes we need a little uh, tap on the hand to remind us who's in charge and who we should be looking to in our trials and our tribulations. And that's God. Um, but <clears throat> so when they kept doing this, and then when it, when it came to the era of David, as we read, or period of David, as we read in 46 and 47, came to, uh, um uh, David found favor with God and, you know, desired to to uh, build a permanent p- 
place for him, to build a temple for him. But this is not what God wanted as we read in 2 Samuel 7 and 13. He wanted a man of peace like King Solomon. David was a warrior. David loved God. Now David, you know, in the book of Psalms, you can tell truly that David loved God and God loved David. But David uh, was not the man God wanted to build a temple. Each one of us, I think about things like that. God's got something for me to do, and it may be something I'm the only one going to do, and you're not going to be able to do it. God's got something, and we should seek that and understand what that is. So, uh, and God told Isaiah, God told Isaiah, you know, and, and Stephen is reminding them that this tabernacle or this temple is not where God lives. God is in there, God's presence is there, but God's presence is everywhere, as he told us last week in our Bible study. God uh, is not confined. We don't want to confine God to just a temple. We want God to be with us. And God is. So Stephen was letting them know that, you know, God isn't about the temple as far as living in the temple. So, uh, you know, his throne, as Isaiah said in 66, 1 and 2, uh, that the heaven is the throne and earth is his footstool. And, and, and this was all made by him. God made the heavens and the earth. Stephen was not denying in any way that God didn't manifest or bless the church because he does. But it, he was trying to make a point to them that he didn't live in that, uh, in that uh, temple. And, you know, he also reminded them of the tent or the tabernacle that that moved around with him for 40 years it no longer exists and now you have this beautiful building so they do come and go and God you know it's not about the temple it is not about the building as I mentioned last week it's about what God wants him, uh, us to do and we don't want to limit it, him to the, just the, the, the tent so and he also Stephen reminded them as it tells us in 1 Corinthians and also in Ephesians and also in the Old Testament, that God's new believers, His new church, now each person is the temple. God lives, His Holy Spirit lives in us, as we talked about last time. So He was making it clear that prophesying the possible destruction or the coming and going of a building is absolutely not a portrayal of Judaism. It is the Word of God. It's the Word of God that these are buildings. They exist, and as time, they may not exist. So in 51, Stephen apparently could see uh, in their movement, their uh, talking to each other, and he could tell they were starting to get mad. He could tell they were starting to whispering and getting upset with each other. So uh, Stephen uh, felt through the Holy Spirit to rebuke them and let them know that they were stubborn. They were very stubborn. They were closed-minded. They were unclean. When you don't obey God, when you disobey God, you are unclean. You're a sinner when you're not living for God. And that's what he was saying to them. You're not obeying God. So that's what he meant by not being circumcised in his word. So the attitudes of these Jews was refusal to listen to the Holy Spirit, refusal to listen to God's word, and refusal to... Uh, acknowledge Jesus Christ. So Stephen was saying they were hearing and thinking on their own beliefs and in themselves. So they were selfish is what he's saying. You're thinking about what you want to do and what you're thinking. And that's not what our Father wants. So verse 52, as we're starting to end for last week, none of the prophets that uh, prophesied in the, fuse, uh, in, uh, in the past, that they prophesied the future, 
all of them were martyred or murdered or killed in some way in the saying our fathers persecuted them they didn't listen to them they you know and now you're doing the same thing is what they said and now you're rejecting another prophet in fact 53 in fact why you're mad and upset is your guilt <laughs> you're having a big guilt trip uh, and these Jewish leaders who rejected Jesus had received the law but had put it in effect to serve themselves. Uh, so they did not keep it themselves. So he was basically accusing them of, you're the ones breaking the law. So they dis- and they disregarded the law. The bottom line, he accused them of killing Jesus, and they did. So looking at tonight's Bible study. So you can tell by now, uh, Stephen, through the Holy Spirit, has really, and he, his intent wasn't to upset them or get them mad. His intent was to reveal to them the Word of God and to help them what they mostly should understand, the history of how their fathers, and now they're doing the same thing. So let's read and continue uh, now with the stoning. They're really upset of Stephen, the title of the first part of the message. Starting in verse 54. Jenny, I'm sorry, I should have probably already said that. Verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut. Basically, they were mad. Uh, to the heart. And they snatched uh, on him, snarling their teeth and gritting their teeth. They're so mad. They're so mad with their teeth. 55. But when he being full of the Holy Spirit, meaning, meaning Stephen... Um, he was full of the Holy uh, Ghost, looked up and steadfastly, here steadfastly means assured, confident, with true understanding of, uh, that God, uh, and he looked into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing, very important, on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right side of God. And in 57, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped up their ears. They actually put their hands on their ears and stopped up their ears. They couldn't hear no more. That was another testimony, by the way, when he's looking up into heaven and he sees Jesus. What a powerful testimony. They couldn't stand it no more. So they closed up their ears. Um, and then they cried out with loud voice stopped their ears, and ran to him with one accord. In other words, a bunch of them. I don't think all that whole uh, forum did that, that whatever the number was. There was too many of them to go down and grab him, but a large group at the same time, simultaneously, in one accord, went and grabbed him and forced him out of the city. Um, so listen uh, uh, to 58. And cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. I'll explain that in a little bit. 59, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And in verse 60, hallelujah. And he kneeled down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So he passed on. Hallelujah. And in chapter 8, and Saul was consenting until his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And except the apostles, very important point, meaning the 
original 12 uh, disciples stayed there, apostles. And then 7, I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 2, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. I'll talk about that. And in verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc uh, of the church, entering every home or every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Father, bless us to receive your word. Hallelujah. Tonight we learn about the first martyr, Stephen, the deacon Stephen. The first martyr of the new church age that's written in the word. When I read 54, when Stephen rebuked them, when I go back to 54, I think about uh, how stubborn and how ugly they became. They were infuriated, very mad. So these so-called dignified, educated religious leaders got mad because the history of the Word of God was quoted to them. They got very upset. Um, And by their expression of their rage, by getting mad, getting upset, and that's why we need to be careful, it actually proved that they were resisting the Holy Spirit. They were not accepting the Holy Spirit. They were not trying to understand the Word of God. The message here is when, you know, the Word of God is being preached and someone may get upset or don't agree with it um, because you've been told the truth, uh, you're resisting the Holy Spirit. I don't, you know, I never thought about that. But that was revealed in my study with Stephen is that we are resisting if we get mad or upset about when the Word is taught now, when the Word of God is taught. it will. You know what the old saying about stepping on my toes? I want God to step on my toes once in a while. Don't you? I believe a man and woman should preach the Word of God, should step on our toes once in a while. Because we do need to be brought back on that narrow way. Sometimes we drift to the right. Or sometimes we drift to the left. I believe we need to stay in the narrow way. And to do that, we need to be preached the word. And we need to receive the word and not resist it. Verses 55 and 56, uh, in contrast or opposite to all the others that were there, that were resisting the Holy Spirit, Stephen was fully under the Holy Spirit, fully had his eyes open, fully looking into glory, and he looked up and glazed and stared into heaven and saw the glory of God. Hallelujah. Stephen said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man, notice the word Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. There's other scriptures that tell us about the wording of, we know about Son of God, but sometimes... Uh, it's referred to, he's re, Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. And you can read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Ephesians, Hebrew, and many other parts of the Bible when it talks of uh, Son of Man. And Stephen's description uh, seems to indicate that Jesus stood up. Think about it. He's standing now. Most of the reading is he's sitting on the right side of God or on the right hand of God. This time it's, uh, uh, he's, he's telling us that he's standing. And, you know, in my heart and in many, many other people that read this, they believe Jesus is recognizing, hallelujah, 
in honoring Stephen for being the first martyr, the first person to stand up for the new church, the first person to stand up and, you know, speak his word the way the Holy Spirit wanted it spoke, you know, to be the martyr, to be the martyr, and to be his witness, to be Jesus' witness. There were several things that I noticed about this. Uh, Stephen used the term son of man, as I mentioned, which most likely remembered you know, what, what he used the Son of Man before here is to let them know who he was. He was their Jesus also, as it tells them back in Daniel seven thirteen and 14, that, you know, there will be a Son of Man. The Son of Man would come, be coming. The Messiah would be coming. Also in Mark 16, I mean 14, 62, 62 and 63, the Sanhedrin accused Jesus when he used the term Son of Man. They accused Jesus of blaspheming. Do y'all remember that? They accused him of doing it because he talked about uh, him being the Son of Man as God called him. So in verse 57, when they heard Stephen look up and say, Son of Man, they just screamed and yelled and gnashed their teeth and gritted their teeth, put their hands over the ears, didn't want to hear because they were closing their hearts. They were closing their minds. They're, and you know what? They were doing exactly what Stephen told them they were doing. They were closing their hearts and minds. They were being stubborn. They wasn't listening. They were being unclean also. And then with one accord, basically many of them went and rushed and grabbed him and carried him out and stoned him. A few points about that. First of all, this, what they did was against Roman law. They were not supposed to do that without a trial, without government uh, approval. Remember in the day with Jesus, they had to take him before uh, uh, the government to, to, to before they could approve anything. They, they were so mad. You know, I thought about it. Have y'all ever been that mad? Been so mad that you just felt like you could just do something mean like that? I think I've been upset before and I've even been mad, but I just don't know if I could have hurt anybody. Y'all know what I mean? I just don't know if I could have done that. But these men were mad to be able to stone him like that. Lord, don't ever let us, I pray. Don't ever, ever get, let us get that mad. That's mad. That's really mad. And it's something that I think about they were educated for. Educated to do is to teach the Word of God. Basically, because of their self, their self-pride, they, they had rose up into positions of authority. I think about what authority does to people. You know it ruins some people? I watched it in my secular career. Once you move some people up through the ranks, through supervisor or manager, many did well, but you had to be careful because some of them that were moved up to those positions didn't do so well. They abused the authority. They abused. And I think these men over their lifetime had gotten to a point where they just didn't think anybody could tell them what they needed to do or could do. They'd gotten that hard-hearted. That, and that's, you know what? I believe that, and I'm going to say it, I believe a lot of them Congress people, both sides of the aisle, that's been up there for 20, 30, 40 years, their minds, their hearts is blocked. It's damaged. It's, they don't listen no more. They don't hear what's going on no more, especially when it comes to the Word of God. And that's my two cents on politics tonight. I normally don't get into it at all. But I can tell you, that's what happens to them. They get stuck in their way and their will and their pride. But that's what, this was against the law. They were so mad they just did it. 
They didn't follow legal procedures. They also, I think about what they were there for. It was called a court. They were there for justice and making sure things were being fair, that people were being treated fairly. I think about what they were there for, but they forgot all that. And positions of authority can do that to you. Matthew 23 and 23, then they took off their garments to allow... Now, this is why, they, you know, the Scriptures told us that uh, they threw their garments and laid it down. You know why they did that? Because uh, uh, it gives them more freedom. When they took their outer garment off and threw it down, it gives them more freedom to pick up bigger rocks and throw them harder. That's why they took off their garments. And it, and it tells us about that in some scriptures. Um, I can't find it right now, but, you know, uh, here even Saul, as first mentioned in verse 48, when mentioned him, he also took out off his gar- outer garment. Now here, I believe that uh, Saul must have been a part of the hearing also that's preaching that Stephen done. That's why he was so mad. He heard part of that, and he was there also participating. They, we can see that Paul, uh, Saul was an eyewitness. Uh, here, I think, uh, Saul is introduced to us by Luke to prepare us about what's about to happen with Saul, and we'll see more and more about uh, with him. When I get to verse 49, I mean 59 and 60, though they were stoning Stephen, uh, and he was dying, uh, Stephen, you know, I think about this, when we're going through trials and when we're going through things in our heart, sometimes I think we are praying for the wrong things. Y'all, y'all look at me funny that way, but when I think about it, because what he didn't pray, Lord, these rocks are hurting me. These stones are killing me. Lord, stop this. Stop this. This is painful. He didn't say that. He did the same thing Jesus did on that cross. Hallelujah. He did the same thing. Lord, take me home. Lord, take me home. I want to go home. He said, Lord, deliver me from this. Deliver me from this. Receive my spirit. Receive my spirit. I'm ready to... This is an important first point for us. You know, I'm thinking about why he's saying that. It's a testimony, again, to all those throwing the stones. Never thought about that before. He's saying to those, keep throwing those stones, folks. God is taking me home. Jesus is really in heaven. Hallelujah. He's standing on the right side of God. Hallelujah. He is our Savior. He's where I want to go. He is the deliverer. Hallelujah. From all that's going on down here. So Stephen is saying, Jesus, it's okay. Receive my spirit. Hallelujah. Receive me, dear Jesus. What a powerful testimony. And he's validating again, Jesus is in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Testifying, Jesus is in heaven. And you know, this this outraged them even more. They just threw those stones harder and they threw them bigger and bigger. Hallelujah. But it's okay. My uh, Jesus took him home. Our Jesus took him home. Thank you, dear Jesus. Hallelujah. This most likely enraged them to way beyond uh, a point of return. And then I think about the second point that Stephen knelt and cried out with a loud voice. Oh, you have to get down on your knees and imagine this. 
You have to imagine being stoned or imagine dying. You have to imagine that somebody's shooting you, beating you, killing you, whatever the case may be, and you say, Lord, forgive them. That's the true love, hallelujah, of Jesus. That's the cross. That is our Jesus' love for us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He, that is true love, and he asked them, Lord, uh, to forgive them of this sin against them, showing a tremendous love, and I keep thinking of that word agape, love, that sacrificial love, that wonderful love that only can be given by Jesus. And having done this, we read that Stephen fell asleep. You know, in my heart, as I'm, yes, I'm thinking about him uh, being stoned, and I'm thinking about him asking uh, to go on to heaven and not asking for relief from it. I think about all those things. I still, in my heart, felt there was just something peaceful. Hallelujah. Just wonderful, wonderful peace that Stephen had. Stephen had wonderful peace. Hallelujah. A peace that most of us don't understand. It's a peace that's way beyond the word peace. Hallelujah. Stephen had a peace in his death. He knew he was going home. Hallelujah. In spite, in spite of all the cruelty, all the violence and all the things that this world had done to him. But yes, Stephen had confidence he was going home. You know another thing that Stephen absolutely, I believe, a peace about him is he, he, hallelujah, what a wonderful peace to know I did what my God wanted me to do. I carried out the task that my God wanted me to do. I did exactly what he wanted me to do, and now he's taking me home. Hallelujah! What a wonderful feeling. What a wonderful peace to have to know that we've done what God wanted us to do. Hallelujah. Stephen was the first believer of the new church to be martyred, but there was many, many more that came after him. But you know, again, Stephen didn't mumber or talk under his breath when he said, you know, Lord, forgive them. Again, they're listening. And again, as he's dying, taking his last breath, Stephen is testifying the word of God by saying, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. That's the love that he had. So it again confirms it confirms how much love Jesus has for us and what we should be having for the, each other. He was given his t- testimony. What a strong, strong example. You know, it also, as I'm praying and meditating on his word, brought to me the importance of what Stephen died for. He died because he taught the Word of God. Hallelujah! He was standing up for Jesus. He was preaching the Word, teaching the Word. Hallelujah! And and the Holy Spirit was using him to do that. Hallelujah! How important is that? And I, I believe tonight, that's why I stand before you and understand even more the importance of a church and his people's testimony, teaching and preaching the word. That's what we're about. 
Not the building, not the carpet, not all the other things. We're about teaching the Word. Hallelujah! This trial that he went through was just another example and a testimony. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! You know, I, I, I just have this in my heart, uh, popped in my head as the board was interviewing. Thank you, dear Jesus. Andy, last Thursday night, and we've been asked this question many times. And over the years, many examples and many things were given. The question Andy said was, and you have to ask yourself this, what is it that this church is looking for from a pastor? Now, we could have went off, and I'm sure... Many pastors have heard, and I know this, have heard many things that many churches look for in a pastor. But the thing that came to my heart, that has already been in my heart, I knew I'd get this question, and the Lord prepared me for it. I said, brother, all we need is a pastor to preach the word and love the people. Everything else will be okay. Preach the word and love the people. Hallelujah. I believe that tonight. And then all that other stuff that we expect out of the pastor, if you love the people, you're going to do. If you preach the word, God's going to do it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, dear Jesus. Thought I'd just share that with you. Great meeting. Great meeting again. Chapter 8. Introduction to Saul already. So let's read a little bit more. Verses 1 through 3 in this chapter mentions Saul and tells us a little bit. Uh, but do you know, we're going to study the rest of chapter 8, and you won't hear nothing else about Saul until we get into chapter 9, but there's a lot more going on in chapter 8 that I, I'm looking forward to. But these first verses tell us a little bit about what's going on in the area at the time. After the stoning of, of, of Stephen, uh, uh, Saul was definitely a part, a mean person. Of He didn't like Stephen, what Stephen preached. He didn't like what he stood for. He didn't like, he felt he was dangerous. He felt he was out teaching and preaching the word. I'd love to be called dangerous in teaching the word, wouldn't you? I'd love to be dangerous in going out and telling the world. Hallelujah. But Saul, but I can tell you this. Saul, nor that Sanhedrin court, would not stop or slow down, or cause a problem for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's plan was being, God's plan was being executed. They couldn't stop it. They, they, and you know, but what Saul became was the chief instigator, absolutely instigator, as the, the verses that tell us. One of the key people that did everything, and I think of the word, when I was reading this, I thought about the words, kill, steal, and destroy. That's exactly what he was doing when you think about it. We think about the persecution uh, from Paul. I saw, excuse me, Saul became very intense. This was so intense, he started going home to home throughout the, the uh, area, and people began to leave their homes and scatter. Because, you know, I, I know uh, in my heart that if uh, Saul entered a home and say, Are you a Christian? A Christian ain't going to lie. I don't believe a true devout Christian is going to lie. But, and what they did, they say yes, where they were arrested, as you, you read here. You know, and uh, uh, 
the people uh, started scattering, as it tells us, and only the apostles remained. Verse 2 tells us, I, I, was, I, I, I thought about a lot about why uh, uh, Luke told us about this, because he didn't want to leave me hanging. What did they do with Stephen? They didn't want to leave me hanging. But some devout men, men that truly loved God, carried Stephen out and buried him. They did all the proper things. They mourned deeply, but also they celebrated the loss of a great young man. So it's good to know from Luke that they took care of Stephen's body. It's what verse 2 is all about. And in verse 3, as we end tonight, scriptures tell us here Saul became more and more furious, more violent, going everywhere, destroying. And when they put him in jail, most likely they were killed. Whoever went to jail, most likely, as we'll read, they were, they were put to death. So Saul personally had a vendetta. Person, personally, he wanted to destroy the church. And then as we learn more and more about this Saul, you know there's no wonder in my heart now. I used to wonder sometimes as a young man, wonder, you know, all of us don't change our name when God changes us. But, uh, you know, God changed Saul to Paul. And I have in my heart some reasoning for that. He certainly changed. He won't in the same person. He won't in the same person. Would you stand up tonight as we end this Bible study? Thank you for being here. God bless you. The Pine Level Pentecostal Church Incorporated, copyright 2024.